Blog Talk Radio. It's been a long road Getting from then to here It's been a long time But my time is finally here That I can feel a change in the wind right now Nothing's in my way Dr. Jess Armine coming to you from the Center for Bioindividualized Medicine here in southeastern Pennsylvania. Tonight is a special night. Tonight is open mic night, which means you get to call in and ask me any questions that you like. And I have put my bulletproof vest on and my lead underwear, so I am ready for almost anything. And I know it'll take a little time for people to uh, join us. So it is completely open. If there's something I don't know, I know, good luck. I will let you know if there's something I need to look up, okay, or answer you properly, I will do so. It's the way that I've always worked. To start things off, I'm going to read a, um, uh, something that somebody sent me from Canada and uh, was asking if we had a toll-free number, and I'm going to look into getting a toll-free number. Didn't know we could have one, but... Um, I will look into it, but if uh, people were reading my blogs earlier this week, um, several people had asked me what would I consider to be an aggressive GI repair program. Uh, There were lots of posts about uh, leaky gut syndrome, and, you know, I always find that when I'm consulting with people, it's always done incorrectly, so this is what I wrote. Uh, The leaky gut syndrome is significant because it allows antigens to pass through the GI barriers and engage the immune system. This causes immune upregulation and subsequent immune dysregulation, leading to all manner of symptomatology like autoimmunity and dysautonomia. I want you to pay attention to that because the answer to her next question is going to hinge on that. Okay? The immune upregulation comes from increased antibodies. And there's lots of antibodies. They, they, they go by names of immunoglobulin or IgG, IgE, IgM, IgA. Uh, the regular allergists, the real doctors, only consider IgE a true allergy. Uh, that's because it releases histamine. Okay? But the other immunoglobulins will do just as, many, just as much damage. Okay? Although if I use the word allergy, they're usually gathering with pitchforks and... Um, and torches at my, at my door. They get very upset. 
if you do release a lot of histamine, this can cause all kinds of havoc in the body also, okay, including leaky cells, increased inflammation, anaphylaxis, and so forth. Um, and I pointed out that the GI tract is made up of several layers, one being the mucus layer designed to trap antigens and allow secretory IgA to bind them up. Also, this is where the biota live, okay? And uh, underneath that is the brush border, which is that the cells that usually look at, that look like they have a brush on the top of it. These cells have tight junctions that don't allow antigens or any of the bad boys to get through, okay? And those tight junctions have to remain. If they get compromised, okay, and you get holes in that area, that's how you get a leaky gut. If the antigens get through, you have things called pyre patches, pyres patches, probably next to somebody called pyres, okay, and that's the immune area. And as we've spoken of before, okay, that is where a macrophage will chew, start chewing on an antigen, and that antigen can be a toxin, can be a cell, can be a piece of uh, protein, <clears throat> and it will present its product to a naive T cell, which decides whether you're going to create antibodies or natural killer cells. Anywho, um, in all my consultations, I tend to listen to how people say that their guts have been repaired. And I've got to tell you, almost ubiquitously, almost 100% is done incorrectly. Okay, I'm not saying I'm smarter than everybody else. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. Okay, but it kind of makes sense to repair a gut by giving it back everything it needs to work. So uh, I, was, I wrote this because I was so upset that people were being only partially fixed. So generally speaking, if you're going to repair a GI tract, you should try and create a mucus layer. And how do you do that? Well, you do that with partially soluble fibers. Those partially soluble fibers are things like, you know, uh, ground flaxseed, ground chia seed, guar gum, um, ground uh, slippery almonds, ground marshmallow root. I know, I know who knew that marshmallows had roots. And you have to be careful because some of those some of those substances are estrogenic, and some people have estrogen dominance. So you might want to just stay with the non-estrogenic ones, which would be the slippery elm or the marshmallow root. Okay, and believe it or not very quickly, that'll create a good mucus layer, except you've got to take it in a fair amount. Okay, also, you need support for the cell membranes in the form of phospholipids. And we did a show on that, and if I, if I say it anymore that cell membranes are a phospholipid bilayer, I think somebody's going to shoot me. Okay, but we need the phospholipids. Okay, and I know it's sacrilegious, but we need animal fats, not a lot. But animal fats can be in the form of organic butter, organic ghee, um, or, well, we can talk about it if it's not a, a, a dairy thing. And we need a little bit of arachidonic acid. Now, arachidonic acid has been demonized over the years because if you have a lot of it, it will go through something called the PGE2 pathway, which creates an inflammatory prostaglandin. But we need a certain amount in order to heal our cells, okay? And if anybody's writing down, the minimum amount of protein that you need is one-half gram per pound of body weight. So if you're 200 pounds, you need 100 grams of protein. Well, there's roughly 28 or 30 grams to an ounce, so you're talking about three and a half ounces of protein, not exactly a, a horrible amount, even if you're um, not prone to eating protein. 
Okay, and of course, then we have to have appropriate probiotics to balance the uh, immune system. So when I say uh, aggressive GI repair program, what I'm talking about is having an appropriate one done. We have the major probability of sealing up that gut, which is the major inflammatory, the major thing that creates inflammation in the body. So uh, the follow-up question here was, Dr. Jess, my issue is even though on prescription-strength pancreatic enzymes, my GI panel from Genova still shows cholesterol in my stool, low, low butyrates, and no parasites or bad bacteria, just not much good bacteria. I get immediate diarrhea from animal fats. I can't do probiotics and have major histamine intolerance issues. On Ketofen for that and Enacord for lymphocytic colitis and desiccated thyroid for hypothyroid, also low-dose naltrexone for inflammation. I can't eat much of anything. I have oral allergy syndrome to birch, willow trees. I hope you're not eating them. Um, which cross-react with all nuts and uh, fruit and fruit with a nut. Okay, I'm taking butyrates now. We're going to start methylcobalamin active form soon. I have double mutation for C677T. I'm now getting hot flashes with food and when encountering stress. What's up with that? If it's not one thing, it's another. I don't blame you, kid. Okay, I also have hypotension, 80 over 56, sometimes 90 over 60. As big as I am, if I had that, you'd be taking me out in an ambulance. Okay, edema in my lower limbs also sometimes, itchy also. Just wondering how a person is supposed to heal their gut when food, etc., required or supplements to repair she can't tolerate. Just barely now can tolerate bone broth due to high histamine. Thanks in advance for any help. Well, this particular one, this particular case would be really, really, really complex. And one of the ways I would go about looking at this is to say to myself, gee, okay, her cholesterol, she's got cholesterol in her stool, low butyrates, no parasites or bad bacteria, just not much good bacteria. She gets diarrhea from animal fats. That kind of spells gallbladder to me. Okay, so one of the things I'd be looking at is gallbladder function. Um, if I were able to physically examine this person, I'd be looking for gallbladder irritation. Okay, uh, the gallbladder uh, used to be called the great deceiver because it creates so many different symptoms that sometimes it doesn't do, it doesn't show you its, rear its ugly head, or you start looking for the four Fs, which is, if you'll excuse the indelicacy, 40, fair, fat, and flatulent. So uh, tended to be women over 40 who were very fair, redheaded, uh, blonde, who were a bit overweight and had a lot of gas, you started thinking gallbladder. So that's one, that's one thing going on here. Now, why is that such a problem? Because you cannot metabolize, you cannot absorb your fats. If you're not absorbing your fats, you can't re repair your cell walls. Okay? So if we go over the, forget the medications here for a second, okay, um, what we see is somebody who has an awful lot of leaky cells, okay? She has a lot of allergy-type symptoms, okay? And this would, this would be from the allergies, from the leaky gut, which is there, which is going to upregulate her immune system, and the fact that she can't absorb fats. 
So she's unable to repair the cell wall. So anything with a histamine is going to start ripping open those cell walls and you're going to start getting symptoms. Now, over time, you're going to have an increase in inflammation and that inflammation is going to continue and that inflammation is going to affect not only the adrenals from the HPA axis, but also the HPT axis for thyroid and the HPG axis for the gonads and that's going to affect not only your ability to create and maintain your neurotransmitters, it's going to start messing with the hormone balance, okay? The blood pressure is part of dysautonomia. It could be a a partial POTS, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, although it's not tachycardia. It could be any type of dysregulation of the autonomic nervous system, including uh, the pulse, digestion, insulin, and so forth. I've seen that with long-term inflammation affects the receptors in the brain, okay? And that is, I usually don't see that early. You see that late, okay? That's because the inflammation has been going on for a long time. She's itchy. Well, I would be itchy too if every time I released any kind of histamine, my cells started breaking open, and that's where you get the welts and everything else. Okay, this one's a tough one, okay? This one you kind of go back and you look at all the different lab tests and you say to yourself, okay, how am I going to get, what's the basis here, okay? Uh, I assume that, you know, she has a W mutation for C677T and she's going to start methylcobalamin, which kind of doesn't make any sense to me because if you have um, C677T, MTHFR, uh, the indicator, if you needed it, and I do say if, would be for 5-methylfolate. Okay, methylcobalamin, um, you can try, but I'd be careful. Okay, I would definitely be careful. The butyrates are a good idea, but we may need to either approach this intravenously, okay, with maybe a very high-dose vitamin C, uh, glutathione, multiple um, multi-minerals, uh, niacin, and so forth, okay, or maybe do one thing at a time to heal that gut. What I don't, what I would be leaning towards here is supporting the gallbladder and starting starting to recreate the mucus layer, okay, stopping the probiotics. The reason that you're getting this reaction is because the probiotics are going through the leaky gut and they're being treated as an, as an antigen. So obviously you're getting histamine, okay? So I would want to look at everything here. All the allergies come together. You have to fix this gut if you can. And once you start getting the inflammation down, and this takes a fair amount of ledger domain and a fair amount of consideration, and you're usually going to have to do one thing at a time with this person, okay? Um, It is not possible but probable to fix someone like this because this is a cascade event that's happened over time, okay? And, of course, I don't have a history. I'm just looking at the various... um, various parameters here, okay? Uh, Remember that the purpose of our talks each week is not for self-aggrandizement for myself, is to empower you, my audience, okay? I believe in empowerment by giving out information, okay? And I want you to realize that, you know, I don't say things off the cuff, that this this stuff is all well-researched and 
you this week I'm now in practice 38 years and guess what guys it's a lot of a lot of experience goes into what I say and I give it all to you very freely because I want you to be empowered when you go to your healthcare providers and say look do this correctly that's why Sean and I created bioindividualized medicine okay and anyway so I'm looking for anyone else who might have questions Okay, if not, I'm going to um, address another issue that I saw this week. Okay, um, hold on. Often I go on different blogs, okay, and uh, I, like, I can't comment on every blog. Oh, what? we got a question here. Hello. Okay. Nice person in the 719 area code. <laughs> and how are you this Hi. fine day? I'm good. How are you? Good. What, what is your question? My question is, um, well, I'm compound um, HET C677T and 1298C, okay? And my doctor has been healing me very, very well, but I have a question. And the question is, why can't I take B-complex vitamins without having a horrific reaction? By virtue of just the polymorphisms, that, that is an insufficient, um, it's an insufficient uh, reason, okay? And, uh, and if you'll allow me to digress just for a moment, it's uh, what I was going to mention just before I picked up, the, picked up your call was... Uh, I've been on several different blogs, and as I usually do throughout the week, I'll go to one blog or another and, and answer some questions because I can't. I think I'm on 20 or 30 different blogs, and I just can't do every single one every day. Otherwise, my cat would be mad at me. And um, this week, I've seen a lot of um, a lot of commentary on single polymorphisms, like people want to know about PEMT or people want to know about MTHFR and uh, they want to know what to do about it, okay? And the fact is, and I'll repeat this as sacrilegious as it sounds, is that the polymorphisms mean nothing unless they're expressing. Remember that the mutations or polymorphisms or SNPs, which are single nucleotide polymorphisms, okay, are part of your epigenome. Um, think of your genome as the DNA construct that makes you a human mammal, okay? And your epigenome, it's, this is not true, but it, think of it as surrounding the genome and responsible for all the enzymes that run your biochemical pathways. So okay. all, the, all the letters that you look at, MTHFR, MTHFS, you know, COMT, and all those, you know, everybody's running around breathing these, um, breathing these letters, are really genes that encode enzymes. Okay, mm -hmm. and depending on the polymorphisms, the enzymes may not be working at their peak efficiency, but they aren't working by themselves. Okay, they're working in conjunction with a bunch of other enzymes in different pathways. And the only way one can determine whether a pathway is not working is not just by virtue of the fact of the polymorphism, but to do a history, maybe look at lab work and see what is not working and what is. I've seen people with the horrendous-looking 23andMe 
you know, like you'd say, hey, this person's going to be in the bell tower, you know, with a rifle. And they're just plain okay. okay so, so would it be like my neurotransmitters that are, are kind of interacting with the whole situation or, you know, that are causing it, me to get such bad headaches and things like that oh. when I try to take a B vitamin or would it, it be my leaky be, gut? It could or, be. It could yeah. be a combination of things. It could be, you know, that you've got, you know, some type of toxicity or you've been exposed to fluoroquinolones, which kind of yes, crashes everything. That's an adequate explanation in and of itself. Uh, and uh, that will make different pathways just simply not work. Uh, and there's certain, and on that particular subject, okay, when somebody's gotten fluoroquinolone toxicity, and what I mean by that to the audience is people who have taken Cipro or Leviquin or Avalox or any of the other quinolones uh, and are genetically predisposed can have pretty horrendous uh, reactions. And it can crash or make their entire physiology unstable. And what I tend to see is, is it go in one of two directions. Uh, the fluoroquinolone toxicities either end up in the micro, I'm sorry, in the musculoskeletal area, like it says in the black box warning, uh, where there's more tendonitis, and I've seen tendonitis to the point where the tendons will pull off of the bone, and that's because uh, the vitamin C is not being allowed to get into the cells, so you actually have an um, intracellular scurvy. On the other hand, I've seen that people go with all manner of neuropsychological, neuro neurophysiologic uh, problems that you know, uh, go from soup to nuts. I mean, really different, uh, different problems that are usually based in fairly extreme neurotransmitter imbalances and, gut, and very poor gut reactions. I see a lot of dysbioses in the floxy pop population. Okay, that all contributes to this. Uh, does it make somebody allergic to the B vitamins? It's possible. There's some people who can't handle especially after being flocks, the uh, chemically derived and need the naturally derived. And there's some people who the naturally derived because of the way they're made, okay, with sometimes moldy stuff, okay, you'd be mm -hmm. surprised what goes into the natural vitamins, okay, and they, they react to those. So it's, it's going to be just a matter of trial and error, really, you know, to make sure that that individual gets their... Uh, their full set of B vitamins so that they can engage in, in, um, in healing and looking at their minerals. Uh, but we also have to look at the mitochondrial pathways and so forth. So it's a tough question to answer uh, off the cuff, but uh, I often say to my patients that I follow crumbs. Okay, and mm -hmm. what I mean by following crumbs is that I'll see what somebody does and what they've reacted to and utilize that information in treating them. So if somebody can only handle quarter doses of things, I, I, I'm guided by that. Okay. Well, but, are, do you have time for one more question? Oh, of course. Okay. Um, so I obviously, um, I took Cipro, and that caused this chain reaction I've been battling for several years. Um, and I'm actually one of your patients, so I called in to get to know some of the things you've been talking about on the radio and mm -hmm. get some direct 
answers, and it's fascinating to do it one-on-one <laughs> during your show. <laughs> um, but I have a brother who is in the military, and he was diagnosed with what they're calling Gulf War Syndrome, and we found that he was Say given... Say again, please. Um, he was diagnosed with Gulf War Syndrome. Gulf War Syndrome, okay. I just and one of the things that they're finding with these guys is they're taking huge amounts of um, antidepressants, antibiotics, and vaccinations while they're there. And I'm kind of wondering if it's the same thing as what I have. We just didn't realize how it was happening. Um, and well, if they should be consulting with mainstream doctors like yourself to get treatment rather than trying more synthetic medicine, which seems to make him worse. Well, we, we, we have to, I think we have to stop qualifying and saying to some, you know, somebody's been taking a medicine for a year and a half and it's not making them better. Everybody's like, yeah. well, it seems to be making them worse. I'm like, no, it's making them worse. <laughs> okay, let's, let's call a spade a spade, okay? Let's, let's call a spade yeah. a spade. Okay, exactly. and if it's not making somebody better, uh, and by the way, for everybody out there, um, when you're taking a medicine or engaging in a therapy, okay, uh, you should see improvement comparatively rapidly. Okay, so like in a, if in a month of treatment you're not seeing 25, 50% improvement, you get really got to question whether what you're doing is working or not. You know. Okay. Uh, uh-huh. But on that on that other on the other hand, uh, if he's taking antidepressants, then obviously they're not hitting the nail on the head. What antidepressants do are trying to balance various neurotransmitters like norepinephrine, uh, dopamine, and mostly serotonin. Okay, mm-hmm. so what would be good for him, really, is to um, probably get a neurotransmitter test and see what where his where his uh, neurotransmitters are now, and then you know with the Gulf War syndrome, you know you want to look at his gut, you want to look at, you know, the various toxins that he was exposed to. And, you know, that's the thing about detoxification and chelation and stuff like that. Um, detoxification, you know, I know everybody has all these various and sundry detox protocols and so forth, but generally speaking, uh, it, the harder you, harder you are on somebody, the more reactions they're going to get, the less compliance they're going to have. So if you want somebody, uh, if you wanted to detox somebody like your brother because he was exposed to chemicals and so forth, one of the better things you can do is fixing a gut so that he's not so filled with uh, inflammation, Uh, Mm -hmm. putting him on like a real reasonable diet. I mean, you know, you you can take somebody off gluten, dairy, soy, and corn, and all they can eat is a piece of lettuce every day, okay? But, (laughs) you know, if you, literally, if you ask him what he eats all the time, that's going to tell you what, where the problems are. If if he does nothing but eat bread, well, you know, I, I once had a young lady who, I was going to say, no, I was going to go through a poem. I once had a young woman that um, we couldn't do testing on, uh, and um, I just asked her what she liked to eat every day. And she said she loved yogurt and crackers. Okay, she could eat three times a day for the rest of her life. said, I didn't have to go too far to say that it was dairy and, and gluten. So we slowly took her off both. She lost 40 pounds. Uh, her wow. anxiety went away. And... Um, it took maybe a little bit of phenylated GABA just to balance her out a little bit, and she was just fine. And this was somebody with a birth injury, a birth hypoxic injury. 
Oh. And she presented with, um, and she was 11 at the time. You know, and well, even even the onset of her menses didn't make a difference. Okay. Well, you know, I might um, have to ask my brother to give you a call because I've been a patient of yours for about four months, and my name's Meg, and I, you I know Meg. have I recognize probably, your voice. <laughs> you have probably healed me about an additional 30% in just such a short time. Well, thank you. And it's, it's such I'm an really important thing for well. people to know. Oh, yeah. So, you know, I, I try to see if other people might have the same problems I do, and they just don't know it, you know? <sighs> it's so. one of the reasons we do this show, right, Meg? So that people understand yeah. that they don't have to be, they don't have to be their label. They don't have to be a, a floxy. They can be somebody who has been floxed but can be can be healed. And that's what started all this, was realizing that the Floxies will heal if they've done exactly what you've done over time before I met you. Okay, you yeah. were eating organic, you were doing, I mean, you really did your studying, and you took, well, you took good care of yourself, and mm-hmm. you, were healed, you were healed about 40, 50%, so all I had to do is put certain things together. And there's still problems, but they're not insurmountable. No, you know? now I can work. <laughs> exactly. Now I can work yeah. and I can go outside can. and I can. I don't have a runny nose and a headache just because I stepped outside the front door. So, um, people who've been I, who've been t- uh, toxified, especially in the military, everybody has to realize that what detoxes the body, glutathione, mm-hmm. vitamin C. Okay? okay, and you could start okay. right there and with the gut, and you wouldn't be overly wrong. You know, you hmm. wouldn't, it doesn't have to be as complicated as everybody's making it. Right. You know? Okay. I appreciate right. the call, Meg. Have Take care. Day. I'll talk to you later. Okay? Bye-bye. Bye. You know, everybody, um, that was Megan. Um, and uh, she's really a, an incredibly intelligent woman and a very motivated lady. And she studied herbs on her own. And she really, when she got flocks, decided that she was not going to let this uh, this toxicity defeat her. So I was very, very impressed. I'm st- I continue to be impressed with her because she's, um, she's an outstanding individual and she's an outstanding mom, you know. And, um, but I will tell you about something about genetics, okay, and I, and I really want people to listen close. And um, I'm not being, I'm not being sac- sacrilegious or sarcastic, okay, but the genetics is important, but it's being given too high of a place in the hierarchy of healing. Okay, um, the joke I always, I always say is that, you know, I was pulled into the genetic realm. I knew all this other stuff, you know, the neuroendoimmunology and, and uh, everything else. And um, they were, my friends were kind enough to teach me the genetics. Uh, one of the things I kept saying is, you know, I think we should heal the body first, you know, but we were all concentrating on healing the CBS pathway, the MTHFR pathway, and, you know, people coming at us and saying, you know, um, I've had, you know, six, uh, six miscarriages and I have MTHFR, whatever, whatever, whatever. But it isn't, but it came full circle, okay, very recently over the past six months, and everybody's realizing, Ben Lynch, Sean, Cynthia, everybody who, you know, who does all the research is realizing that the primary way of getting those pathways working the primary way of healing somebody is to work on the body first. You know, MTHFR simply means methylene tetrahydrofolate reductase. And 
Uh, if you <laughs> you go to my page, I have a I have a blog on how do you know your doctor know you know does MTHFR, but or if your doctor is only working on the only working or indicating from the one or two MTHFRs, usually the six, seven, seven T and the twelve ninety eight C, that is really inadequate. Okay, you're looking at one enzyme in a sea of enzymes. You're looking at one enzyme in a pathway of several enzymes, okay? And you need to know what is causing the body to go awry because you were born like that. So guess what? Your MTHFR was there since you were a baby, okay? And it's not, it wasn't doing anything bad to you, okay? MTHFR, in combination with other things, can cause miscarriages, a lot of clotting and stuff like that. But you don't fix an MTHFR with just 5-methylfolate or methylcobalamin. You have to fix the body. Okay, so if the prospective uh, mommy is gluten intolerant and casein intolerant and is producing a ton of immunoglobulins, okay, and she has a lot of um, clotting factors that are positive, she's going to clot. Okay, that's when the MTHFR comes into play. And that's how, in my opinion, that's how a lot of the miscarriages and other problems happen is when the body is sick. And you know in allopathic medicine these days that um, they pay attention to the medicines they're giving you but not healing the body, okay? And my job as a physician is to teach you and to share with you the proper order in healing the body, the proper way of healing the body, and you know, how one thinks. And here's, here's how you think about it. This is why bioindividualized medicine was created. The neuroendoimmunology, the, neuro, the neurotransmitters, the hormones, and the immune system are considered like a unit because they interact with each other constantly. Okay, so they're constantly talking to one another because the, neuro, the neurons release neurotransmitters, right? Okay, and uh, so that's their biomarkers. The Endocrine system releases hormones, and that's their biomarkers. And the, the um, immune system releases cytokines, and that's their biomarkers. But each of those systems have the receptors for the other guy's systems. So they're constantly chattering to one another, like three Cub Scouts in a tent. If you ever try to shut them up, you can't, okay? You could try pumping gas in, but as soon as they wake up, they'll just start chattering again. I hope people are laughing. Okay, so that's one, that neuroendoimmunology that was created by the Neuroscience Corporation Okay, that paradigm was really, really central to this thought process because, hey, they aren't linear, they're interactive. Then we realized that almost everybody with a chronic illness had mitochondrial dysfunction, not mitochondrial disease, that, which unfortunately some children have and it puts their survival at risk, but mitochondrial dysfunction, a lessening of mitochondrial function that doesn't allow you to create your energy. Well, for healing, you need your energy. To heal, you need patent detoxification pathways. For healing, you need a good methylation transsulfation pathway so you can create glutathione, which is your major antioxidant and antitoxicant. Okay, without all three of those things, you're not going to heal. Okay, we're going to the inflammation will just keep on building up and you won't heal. Sean introduced us all to the concept of cell wall integrity. Okay, the cell wall 
is the cell is the basis of all physiology. If you understand how a cell works, then you understand how the body works. It's interesting. I learned cellular physiology from Dr. Bogan in medical school. Dr. Bogan was so old that I think he went to school with God, you know, and I, I think he remembered physiology from the Big Bang. You know, he probably experienced, that's how old this guy was. The first day we walked in, you know how teachers just give you a little story? The first day we walked in, he started quite without, you know, without pretense, he started at the Big Bang. He started talking about the Big Bang and then how different things formed. And about an hour and a half into the lecture, we figured we'd better start taking notes. But I saw what he was doing. He was showing us how different things formed on Earth and how we created you know, a certain salinity in our systems and so forth. And over the year that I was, I was taking his classes, I realized and learned how a cell works right down to the genetic level. And so it was not too hard to figure out how pathophysiology worked because it was all the effect on the cells. And one of the things that happens to a cell is that the cell wall can be compromised. Okay, and we've been talking about the phospholipid bilayer. I know I keep saying it because nothing will work if that phospholipid bilayer is compromised. Okay, and it can be compromised by a bunch of histamine coupled with a lot of inflammation coupled with a lack of ability to recreate the cellular layer, okay, which is kind of what we've been talking about, okay? Epigenetics or the genetics or the genetic profile are great pointers, okay? They tell you where certain people have a two-lane highway when most other people have an eight-lane highway. And if there's a lot of stress in the system, that's where that person's system will fail first. It's a nice signpost, but they're not to be used as absolutes. So when I see somebody's COMTs, heterozygous or homozygous, that's methyltransferase, which breaks down um, excitatory neurotransmitters, or their MAOA is homozygous or heterozygous, the warrior gene that also helps break down the excitatory neurotransmitters. I realize that when that person's catecholamines or excitatory neurotransmitters are being pumped out because of infection or toxins or whatever, they're going to get a big backup. And that may make them angry, that may make them jittery, that may make them, you know, something or other, okay, not good. And what mitigates that? Well, then I start looking at their GAD SNPs and saying, wow, this is going to go towards those anxiety disorders. If all the GAD SNPs are kind of yellow, then I say, hmm, that's going to be the mild ones. But if I see a bunch of reds in there, if I see a bunch of homozygous, I realize that that person's in danger of serious mental illness based on the high level of excitatory neurotransmitters. So what do I do? You, don't treat, you can't treat the GAD SNPs directly. You can't treat COMT direct, directly, nor MAO. You get at the root cause. Okay, so if it's Lyme or strep or something else, you start getting at it. And then you start looking for the downstream effects of what that root cause is. Leaky gut, neurotransmitter imbalance. Neurotransmitter imbalance, for somebody who's experienced, is fairly easy to fix, given the fact that you can use targeted amino acid therapy. You can give people enough amino acids to build up their neurotransmitters. But usually there's a leaky gut. And if it's been long enough, 
there's usually some kind of dysbiosis in the form of H. pylori, in the form of yeast, in the form of parasites, in the form of SIBO, small, small intestine bacterial um, overgrowth. This is where you start saying, okay, these are the downstream effects of X. We have to take care of that, and we have to take care of the root cause. And the epigenetics point the way. But what I've been seeing an awful lot of lately, and I've seen this again and again, and I've, I've been advising people to back up and take a look at the big, big picture, is you don't treat the SNPs directly. Okay, not everybody with a C6717 needs 5-methylfolate. You know, and a lot of times when you take it, you can overmethylate yourself, and you're feeling worse, and you don't realize it. Okay, not everybody needs methyl B12. Okay, a lot of people I put on <clears throat> phenylated GABA, but what I'm doing there is safely increasing the amount of GABA that they have in their system, in their brain, so that they can counterbalance any kind of excitation. Okay, it's a, it's a, if you know which ones to use and how to use it, you're pretty safe in using it, especially while you're getting the other testing back. If you go after the Lyme, if you go after, you know, whatever the causative agents are, and you fix the downstream effects, the epigenome, your biochemical pathways will simply start working the way they should. And lots of times... You don't need to do too much. Now, I know that sounds like sacrilege. I know I'm on my soapbox, but unless you guys call in and ask questions, I'm going to be on my soapbox for the next, for the next 10 or 15 minutes. <laughs> I know, keep up, right? The reality is there have been a lot of people out there, a lot of, well, I won't mention names because I really don't want to go that high on my soapbox, who will tell you, you've got to take this for COMT, and you've got to take this for that, and this for that, and they're treating the SNFs, but they're not treating you. Okay, which is the reason we created the concept of bio-individualized medicine. Okay, because you as a person, you as an independent, your individual physiology needs to be taken into account and treated correctly. Okay, and that is not what I see happening. And I'm going to go a little bit afar, and I'm going to share with you, because I love all of you, I really do, what it means to have individualized medicine done with you. Okay? I've been seeing everybody utilize the word individualized ever since we started <laughs> with bioindividualized medicine. All of a sudden, I'm seeing people put the best in individualized medicine, or we do individualized medicine, we do indi and I'm sitting there going, and I'm laughing because I know what they're doing. They do the same thing with methylation. It's like they wave the flag, yet they have no idea what they're talking about. So all they know is that if I see these two genes, I'm going to either give them Deplin or I'm going to give them, you know, 5-methylfolate or something, or methyl B12, and it should be okay. But I can say that I do methylation. Well, that's not true. Somebody who does individualized medicine does not use protocols, okay? I've been asked, do you use this protocol, that protocol, this protocol? Well, protocol in my office is a four-letter word, okay, because protocols are made for masses. So somebody has a diagnosis, and you know how I feel about diagnoses, okay? And you say, okay, you do this protocol with that diagnosis. Well, <laughs> a diagnosis has got to be correct, of whatever the root cause is. You can't say do this for fibromyalgia because that's not a diagnosis. You can't do this for chronic 
fatigue is that's not a diagnosis, okay? You can't treat something you don't know the cause of, okay? And if you're going to follow a protocol, even for Lyme, okay, and you just say, okay, we're just going to do this regardless of what the person's reaction is, that's not individualized medicine. Individualized medicine is when you spend a significant amount of time with the healthcare provider, doctor, nurse, whoever's well-trained. You know, I don't make differentiations with healthcare providers, okay? And they sit down and they get your entire history, preferably from in utero forward. And yes, I can tell what's going on in utero. If anybody's been examined by me, you know how I do that. Okay, and then you find out the what happened in what time, what caused, okay, and you see where the cascade events happen. Then you find out what has been done, what has been tested, what has worked, what hasn't. And you sit down and you make up an individual treatment plan for that patient. Sometimes they're very similar. Like, you know, obviously I, I tend to want to fix the gut a lot because for the reasons we stated. And I tend to have a way that I do that, but I don't, I don't have a protocol because I do it a little differently with each person. Why? Because I listen to the crumbs. If somebody took sunflower lecithin and got a bad reaction, I'm not going to give them liposomal vitamin C. Okay, I might go a different direction. Okay, there are many, many tricks. I have many tools in my toolbox. Okay, and I bring them out as needed. Okay, and I bring them out individually for each person I work with. So... If you go to a doctor and they don't sit down, and, and I'm talking with the doctor, not with their assistant, not with their, uh, some other minion, you know, to look at, your, uh, look at your 37 pages that you filled out. Okay, if you're not sitting with the provider themselves, then you're not being treated individually. You're being treated in a mill. If you go to that place and say, we practice this technique or we practice this protocol, it's time to slip out the back, Jack. Okay, because you're not going to be treated Okay, individually, you're going to be fit into their protocol. And Sherlock Holmes always said that it is a capital mistake to twist facts to suit theories than it is to twist theories to suit facts. So if you go to a place that practices a protocol, then whatever that happens to be, you're going to be shoved into that protocol. And somebody's actually calling. This is cool. Hi, this is Dr. Armine. How are you? Is anyone there? Is anybody there? Okay. Well, hopefully they'll call back. Anyway, so if they're practicing a particular protocol, okay, that is not what you're looking for. Okay. Now, yeah, there's some things that can be pretty well specialized, but, you know, what we don't need in this area for people who have been, who are still suffering despite numerous consultations and treatments, what we do not need is another specialist. We need a good generalist. And I like to call myself a specialized generalist because I act like the old family doctor, okay? I have a lot of knowledge in a lot of different areas, and I apply it to each case, okay? And, you know, you may not call me a specialist in this or a specialist in that. I like to call myself a methylation specialist because I don't think there's too many of us out there who really understand this, but that's not the only thing I do, okay? And I look very, very deeply into each case. And if you don't get that feeling when you're being examined somebody, they are not practicing individualized care. They are just bringing you in with that banner, and they're not giving you what you deserve, which is a good 
fresh look at whatever's going on. Okay, and if somebody takes a good, the lawyers call it a de novo hearing, or you know, if you don't get a good, fresh look of some, with somebody who really understands all aspects of healthcare, you know, and doesn't have an ego and, and can you know look at you in the square in the face and say, hey, this is out of my realm, okay, but will say, I know who you can see. That is a good doc. Okay, but somebody who's just waving the individualized medicine flag, I'd be real careful. Okay, make sure. This person keeps calling. Let me see if I can catch him this time. Hi, person from the 716 area code. You there? Yes, I am here. Oh, good. Caught you. How are you doing? Good. I have a question. Please do. Um, I have been struggling with... Okay. I have been struggling with uh, my thyroid and adrenals. And Mm -hmm. um, lately, I have now have noticed I've... um, have gotten uh, autoimmune diseases such as AA mm-hmm. um, and a bunch of others. Uh, what is it called? The Reynolds syndrome. And um, I keep hearing I have to fix my adrenals. Is that where you go once you start getting these autoimmune diseases? I've been working healing on healing my gut and stuff like that, but um, everybody keeps telling me it's adrenals. That's where it all stems from. Is that true? I'm I'm really glad you asked that question. Thank you so much. I mean, it is a really good question. Um, uh, in answer, let me answer it this way, but I, I'll, I promise you I'll, I'll go full circle with it, okay? Uh, okay. When you try fixing your gut, okay, is a great way to slow down or stop a lot of inflammation, okay, which is the reason that certain upregulation or stimulation happens. Remember, you have the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, the hypothalamic pituitary thyroid axis, and the hypothalamic pituitary gonadal axis. So there's a couple of things going on in tandem here. Okay, one, you're, you're having chronic inflammation, which in and of itself will create a immune dysregulation that causes autoimmunity. And the more inflammation that you have, okay, the longer the inflammation stays, the longer, the more autoimmune problems you tend to get. Okay, my, my, my favorite question is if somebody has a predisposition to rheumatoid arthritis, why doesn't everybody get rheumatoid arthritis? Okay, not everybody does, okay? But if you have a bunch of inflammation, if you set it up, so that that can express, you're going to get it. And then it's going to be a cascade. You're going to get one after another. People with RA tend to get Sjogren's and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. That's so, exactly what I have. I have both those, yeah. Right. And, and you didn't get them all at once. You got them in tandem. Okay, mm-hmm. one after the other after the other. And it didn't start out like that. You got sick, and after a little while, you started getting these. And that's, that's where that theory came from. And it's not more of a theory. It's more of a fact. So starting with healing your gut is a wonderful place to start and, and, it's, and a good, proper place to start. Um, if you have, let's say, thyroid problems, okay, the, the fact is you're going to have adrenal and hormone problems also, especially with that level of inflammation. So it is not, it's a good thing that somebody says, hey, you should treat the adrenals, but I would believe in my heart of hearts it is wrong to say to you everything stems from the adrenals, okay? Yeah. I think that you need to consider and treat 
if you haven't, especially if you haven't, when I listen to a whole history and I say to myself, boy, they've been, she's working on the gut, she da 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 they worked on the thyroid, but nobody's looked at these adrenals. You know, I wouldn't say to you, hey, it's all stemming from the adrenals. I would say to you, that stone's been left unturned. Let's start working with it because it's going to yeah. give us the biggest bang for the buck. That's where the, that's maybe the reason why you're not completely healing. I may look at your cell wall integrity and say, you know something? You're not doing anything to really heal your cell walls, so that's going to be another thing that I want to work on because that could be a real good reason why you're not healing. Okay, but yeah, for someone it, to say... It, go ahead. It almost seems like everything isn't adding up for me. Uh, my adrenals, my 24-hour uh, cortisol doesn't come back horribly, but it just is a little low, uh, maybe two times. And then my thyroid, I've gone to see numerous endocrinologists who've told me it's all within range. It's all within range, mm-hmm. although my free T4 and free T3 are on the lower end, and my TSH is on the lower end. They say, nope, you're not hypo. Your TSH is, you know, low with everything else. So I almost feel like, you know, I'm just caught in a you circle are, right caught, now of adrenal the, thyroid gut, adrenal thyroid mm-hmm. gut, you know. Well, your, your, your point is very well taken because you're in the, the maelstrom of the allopathic uh, medicine people who only listen to lab tests. So let me give you a little ha- couple of hints, okay? Number one, if you take your temperature every day, okay, how old are you, dear? Mm-hmm. I am 34. Okay. So what you do is you get a stick thermometer and you shake it down and you take your oral temperature before you get out of bed in the morning for about 10 minutes every day for at least 14 days because it's going to be a little up and down with your cycle, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, yep. If you average below 97.5, 97.5 or below, you have hypothyroidism. I don't care what the tests say. Okay? okay. That's, that's absolute. Okay? And we just have to, you have to find a doctor who's willing to work with it. On the other hand, if it's around 97.9, 98, I hope I'm talking to somebody in America. <laughs> I always have to translate <laughs> yes. to centigrade. You'd be surprised. I talked to Australia, and I'm like, they're saying, what, what, what? I'm like, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> It's, 40, it's 44 degrees down here. I'm like, that's cold. No, it's not. It's like 115. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> Who's your neighbor? The devil? <laughs> no, I mean, really, you know? So, uh, and I, I recently had that happen. It was, it was so funny because the, the person I was talking to was saying it's 44 degrees. And I'm like, you must be cold. And they, they were like looking at me cross-eyed until I secretly got on, on, on Google over here and, and translated it to 115 degrees, and I was like, who's your next-door neighbor, Satan? You know, you know but, <laughs> you know, my God, oh, you know, now I know, why, now I know why they put all the criminals down there. My gosh, you know. Uh, anyway, if you're, <laughs> seriously, if your temperature hovers around 98, it's maybe, it may primarily be adrenal, 98, 98, 1, that area. In between 97.5 and 98, my, my joke is to say, here there be dragons. Okay, that requires interpretation, okay? You're never wrong by fixing the gut. Never, ever, 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 okay? Remember, the mm-hmm. risk-benefit factor, if there's no risk and probable benefit, which means more than 50%, you're okay by doing it, okay? And mm-hmm. you'd, have to, you'd, have to get a, you'd have to work with somebody who is willing to take a really, really good long look at everything in your history 
to come up with a differential diagnosis of what's causing this havoc, okay, and look at everything okay. that's already been done, and then with an open mind say, hmm. But the, what I usually hear is you start talking to people, and everybody says, it's adrenal. So you find out somebody who's an adrenal specialist, and then you treat that with a year, and you're not feeling any better. And then somebody says, oh, it's this. You know, and then you go to that person, you know, and, and, and this can go on for years. And this is, these are the people who I see. They finally end up at my doorstep, and I'm like, okay, let's look at everything. They're like, uh, uh, thank you, I've been asking somebody to look at it. <laughs> and I'll look at everything to include the genetics, including, you know, everything I can get my hot little paws on, and then I'll put it together. And usually you get a pretty clear picture of, the genesis of everything and the downstream effect, and then, believe it or not, the treatment becomes kind of obvious. It stands there. If you know what it is, then treating it ain't no big deal, okay? And if you treat it and the person gets better, then you know you've made the right assumption, okay? And you just, that's why we don't just give you a treatment plan and say, see you in the next, you know, the next millennia. You know, we follow up on a regular basis because it's not always correct, and you have to break and pedal and change things. You know, that's the way this kind of stuff works, and that's the way it must work if you're going to treat people in the correct manner. You know, anybody uh-huh. with a simple problem is not a big deal. And the reason for that is when you have an acute condition, think of a big bell curve, okay, and the median is normal, and about one standard deviation either way is normal, okay? You have homeostatic mechanisms, those things that bring you back to normal, bring you back towards the center. When you have an acute infection, you may go one and a half, two standard deviations out, okay? You take antibiotics, whatever, it knocks down the amount of microorganisms, and then your immune system and your homeostatic mechanisms bring you back to normal. So you feel kind of bad for about a week, but after that, I got over it. I feel better. Thank you very much. Hi, Joe. Give me a piece of lettuce, okay? Uh, But when your system gets four, five, six, seven standard deviations outside of normal, okay, and it starts getting funny because of all the inflammation creating different kinds of symptoms and autoimmune diseases, you can't be looking from the outside. You can't say, let's treat it for Sjogren's, let's treat it for RA, let's treat it for this, let's treat it for that, because you're going to chase your tail for years. Okay, that's when you really have to look on the inside and say, hmm, what gave rise to this? What's the downstream effects? How can we get her back towards, you know, get her homeostatic mechanisms to work again? How can we get her back to within one or two standard deviations of normal so her body will take over? Okay, and sometimes that can be quite a, quite a chore, but that's what we've trained to do, and that's what we do on a regular basis, and we're pretty successful at doing it. So now I went in a big circle. Did I answer your question? Yes, you did. I, I have plenty more questions, but I won't take up your well, time. I'm sure well, there's other callers. <laughs> well, actually, you're the only caller on right now, so go ahead and ask another question. I, pre- I would appreciate it because otherwise people are going to have to listen to me pontificate. <laughs> okay. Um, so for my adrenals, I have been treating it with um, adrenal cortex. Um, I started off with 50 milligrams, and I, I keep raising it. Well, I'm, I'm up to 150 in the morning and then 100 in, 100 um, in the this, afternoon. This nice British lady keeps, um, keeps selling, telling me how many. When, when this thing says it's over, I'm going to continue the episode, okay, uh, so I, I can okay. listen to your. So it may, it may click. If I, if I cut you off uh, because I hit the wrong button, just give me a call tomorrow. I'll answer your questions, okay? But right now, can continue your question, okay? 
Okay, I'll make it quick. Um, I just wanted to know if I could be actually damaging my adrenals if um, I continue to take the adrenal cortex, um, not really knowing if it's increasing or, or causing high adrenaline or low well, adrenaline. Because it's, it's really okay. difficult to know if your heart palpitations are from high or low or, okay. you know. Well, you know, your point... Your, your point is well taken. Um, are you taking the protomorphogen adrenal cortex? Which one are you taking? Thorn. Thorn. So you're taking a protomorphogen, Thorn. which is the desiccated, um, okay, a hit state on the air. Okay? Uh, can you hear me mm-hmm. still? Okay, great. Because yes. yes. it's still recording. All right. Um, adrenal cortex is allegedly the cortex, the adrenal cortex that has been defatted and all the hormones have been taken out of it. But you know and I know there's still hormones left in there. The adrenal gland has a medulla and a cortex. The medulla pumps out epinephrine and norepinephrine. The cortex is pumping out cortisol and DHEA, dehydroxyepiandosterone. Taking adrenal cortex, if you're taking higher and higher amounts and not feeling better, it simply means you're hitting the nail. You're not hitting the nail on the head. You shouldn't okay. take adrenal cortex to balance your neurotransmitters because that's the wrong area to do it with. And it should be Uh, done. Your cortisol can be measured. And if you're going to measure cortisol, you should do the four-point cortisol, which is available at most labs, which is four um, saliva samples, morning, afternoon, evening, and bedtime. So you can see, uh I can tell from that, if you're normal, if you're mid-stage adrenal... um, Gee, looks like everybody disappeared. Oh, well. Um, can you still hear me? Yes. Okay, good. Um, fine. <laughs> I, think, I think they, I don't know. Blog talk radio is a little strange. Uh, but in answer, to, in answer to your question, because it's important, is um, uh, you can get that and you can see how the adrenals are working. And there's certain patterns you look for. Not everybody's either flat or too high. If it's super high, then somebody has their foot on the gas of the adrenals. If it's super low, okay, then you're in adrenal exhaustion. But I can tell all the middle. And you need a neurotransmitter test to see what the actual balance of your neurotransmitters are. Remember, you need a balance between inhibitory neurotransmitters that calm you down and excitatory neurotransmitters that wake you up. So if you're low on adrenaline, your body's going to look to raise glutamate or dopamine in order to get excitation, but guess what? That's not, that can be a little disconcerting. Okay, high oh, dopamine yeah. can cause hallucinations or paranoia. High glutamate can cause seizures, can cause, you know, uh, running, you know, running mind or a lot of different things. So, you know, your body is always trying to fix itself, and you have to look at that and say, hmm. And if your adrenals are still, and also when you start fixing your adrenals, and they start getting better, if you have not investigated the reason why the adrenals got exhausted in the first place, mm-hmm. for instance, mm-hmm. let's say you had um, you know, a, a fulminant yeast overgrowth in your gut that's pumping out. Yeast, candida albicam, pumps out its own excitatory neurotransmitters, okay? And it pumps out a ton of acetaldehyde. These are all super excitatory. That's why in the 1980s, which I think you're too young for, okay, <laughs> the, big, the, big scream was, <laughs> the big scream was, you know, don't feed the yeast, don't feed the yeast, because they blame the yeast on everything from MS to, you know, a hangnail. Okay, but they went about it the wrong way. 
yeast will create problems. So let's say your adrenals are real low. You feel horrible when you start, you start supporting them. If you haven't investigated why it got that way, what's going to happen? That's like putting gas in a car when the person's got their foot on the gas, okay? And as soon as they have enough gas in there, it's going to go, woo, again. Okay? You have yeah. to look at You have to look at, that's why, you know, that whole paradigm, you have to look at root cause, downstream effects, you know, the effect on the uh, cell walls, and the effect on, you know, the epigenetic effect. And remember, the epigenetics should be, you know, used as guidance rather than a primary treatment modality. So I agree with you. You have a, you have a complex case. This is something that I deal with all the time. And you've had obvious uh, adrenal upregulation or adrenal, some, something has their foot on the gas that's, you know, ending up in adrenal yeah. hyperactivity. Yeah, um, I feel like I'm... T- I feel like I'm teasing my adrenals. I feel like, mm-hmm. you know, I one minute I'm using herbs or, you know, and yeah. the next minute I'm using adrenal cortex and sometimes I have palpitations. So, and I almost feel like I'm I'm not getting anywhere because I'm not addressing what is causing my adrenals. Exactly. That's why I was addressing my thyroid because I thought that was but your, what was causing. Your, your methodology of doing it is, is well healed and, and, and reasonable, okay? But I will tell you something, and I don't mean to insult you, okay? And mm-hmm. I say this to everybody. A doctor who treats yeah. himself has got a fool for a patient, and that goes for patients too. When we're talking about something like this that is multi-system involvement, okay, it is tough for you to treat yourself. You know, yeah. uh, it's tough to read and say, I'll try this, I'll try that. This is the kind of thing, now, if you've worked with a lot of other doctors, I understand, okay? But this yeah. is the kind of thing that you need to work with someone who is, you know, learned in this area and willing to look at the whole picture all over again and say, okay, where are we? You know, how are you healing your gut? Are you doing it correctly? Sometimes you can't get enough in by mouth and we have to go the intravenous route, okay? Mm-hmm. And we try and fix, you know, we try and set things up for that also, at least keep it in the back of your brain. But, mm-hmm. you know, we, when I say we, I'm talking about Sean and myself and, you know, I... I pride myself in making sure that I always keep my patients' needs, you know, foremost in my mind, you know, whenever I do anything. And this is the reason, because this can be confusing, and it's scary. And if I don't miss my guess, you have a family, and you've got more things to mm-hmm. do than have to work on this every day, you know. Yes. And mm-hmm. uh, you, need to be, you need to be healthy to take care of your children and take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. So, you know, my goal is always I want you to be the woman that you want to be, the wife that you want to be, the mother that you want to be. And when this kind of stuff happens, you start into the autoimmunity and very soon into the dysautonomia, okay, where you're going to start getting, you're already talking about the palpitations and so forth. It may have nothing to do with the adrenals and may have everything to do with dysautonomia, okay, where your uh-huh. autonomic nervous system is becoming more dysfunctional because of the chronic inflammation. Now, there's lots of stuff to think about, kid. Yeah, okay? yeah there and is. Not, Yep. I'm not being condescending. I'm just sharing with you, okay? Oh, you know, I that's, understand. That's what yeah. I promise. That's what I promise to do, is to let people know, yeah. hey, this is the way that it works. Mm-hmm. You know, and I um, appreciate it. Mm-hmm. So, if I could ever do anything for you, please give me a call. I'd be happy to discuss things further. Um, I don't see anybody in the queue here, so I will bid everybody good night. Um, I thought the open mic night was a good idea, uh, but hey, what the heck? <laughs> <laughs> I thought it, I thought it was a great idea. Just you know, <laughs> one. Just what? 
Are you there? Hello? Hi. I thought you got cut off there for a second. Oh, no. I just wanted to tell you I thought it was a great idea to have people call in and ask questions because, uh, you know, on Facebook all I see is everybody confused and asking questions and how do people do this and that, and I think that's one of my problems is I look into everything too much instead of just concentrating on myself. And um, I recently started investigating LDN, wondering if that's, you know, what I should go LDN that is, route. LDN is a very good, very good, very good call. But you uh-huh. always have to realize that LDN is not a cure. And you know, you, if you talk to Linda Elsagood, who runs the LDN uh, Research Trust, she will tell you to your face it's not a cure, but it is a good tool. You know, yeah, yeah. and as long as long as you handle it like that, because Linda and I had a long conversation, you know, because mm-hmm. she was t- extolling the virtues of LDN for her, and I said, yes, I understand, Linda, and it's wonderful, but you're not fixed yet. And she just looked at me, and I'm like, sorry, you're not fixed yet. You know, you yeah. stopped right here. But, you know, if you realize that, if you realize that this is a good Band-Aid, and there's no dishonor in using a Band-Aid when you're bleeding, Okay, the dishonor happens when you don't look for the source of the bleeding. Yeah. Okay, and that's can where it can both? get confusing. Absolutely. Can you? Absolutely. Okay, so you can you can Med- use that as well as heal Absolutely. you know heal yourself. You bet. And then eventually Listen. maybe be able to decrease, right? Well, think of it this way. Okay, remember the the bell curve example I gave. Okay. Yeah. Picture mm-hmm. your body being ten or twelve standard deviations out of normal. Okay, LDN will bring you back to about five or six or four standard deviations. And now all of a sudden it becomes easier to fix you. Okay? Ah. And then once, once I get you closer and then your homeostatic mechanisms take over, you slowly decrease the LDN with your prescriber. I mean, I don't, I don't tell people not to take medicines, but I'll give them advice as to work with their doctors. And then you find that you don't need it anymore. You know, it's the same thing with uh, psychotropic medicines. I don't tell people, get off your medicines. I tell people, okay, your, your uh, balance is good now. Talk to your prescriber or I'll talk to your prescriber and ask which medicine they want to start working their way down on. And I've taken, I've taken psychosis patients who are on five or six or seven medicines and, and a lot of them to take care of the, um, you know, the effects of the medicines and have them let, you know, within a year their prescriber brings them down to one medicine. Okay, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden, yeah. instead of being non-functional, they're bright, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, and they're back in the workforce. Okay, yeah. and yeah. for me, that's that's the greatest, one of the greatest things that I get to do. You know, is to yeah. take somebody yeah. who is non-functional and allow them to be functional. You know, yeah, that must be the be- best feeling. <laughs> it is. Well, it's that's I, I'm in this because of my son who has schizoaffective disorder, and he's now graduating college. He is my oh. hero. You know, Wonderful. Where, he, where he was, he should be, and it was a, it was a blog that I wrote a, a couple of days ago. I had attended um, a seminar on the habits of happy people, and one of the things they told you to do was write. There were three good things that happened to you that day, and I started keeping a journal. Right. So he said he also said put it on Facebook. So one day I put it on Facebook. I said you know, and I said you know I got to talk to somebody about and and you know help them realize they didn't have cancer. And then I got to take I got to take care of a doggy that was paralyzed, and you know he's he's starting to get better, and he gave me the puppy eyes. And then I got to realize that my son um, was taking his research 
and he was invited to do uh, a presentation at this big muckamuck thing at at um, St. Joseph's University. And I said, and the nice thing about not is that he is first of all he did research that's going to be published as an undergraduate, and I remembered that you know he should be he should be disabled, but he's not. He should have asked for accommodations, but he doesn't. You know, uh-huh. he should be non-functional, but he's functional. You know, and mm. like they said in Jonathan Livingston Siegel when Chiang, the master, looked at Jonathan and said, you know, because he got to where he was so fast, he said, you're pretty much a one-in-a-million bird. And that's my Jesse, you know. But Aww. it was because of a lot of intervention with a lot of other people. And, you know, he is really functional now. So you get to do that with oh, other that's people. Wonderful. You know, it's a beautiful thing. You get to take children and get rid of their hallucinations, you know, with with oh. nutraceuticals. And they don't have to have yeah. a life of disability, you know. It's because yeah. of the stuff that we do, not because I'm smarter, because I bother to listen. <laughs> well, it really, it, it it's amazing because I, I can, to be honest with you, I have a four-year degree as a registered nurse, and I can't figure out what's me wrong too. with me. And that's really, it's really sad. And it makes, me, it makes me sad that I can't go to work to take care of people. I worked so hard in college, yeah. and now I can't, I'm not even well enough to take care of people. And on top of it, I can't figure out what's wrong with me. You know, and it's sad. Oh. I took one nutrition, one nutrition class in college, just one, one semester, one nutrition class, and that is it. And it's more you know, and it's just really sad. I know. Which yeah, it's really sad. I know nothing. What's that? What type of nursing? What type of nursing do you do? I was a I was a nurse at, before I stayed home with my children. I was a nurse in uh, Roswell Park, which is a cancer hospital. Cool. And so I worked on the lymphoma ward. You know, and so yeah. I did that for two years and then started a family. Good. And um, I feel like, you know, I would love to get back to work one day, but I'm you too can. busy trying to figure out what's wrong with me. Well, you, in what you just said is the path of your healing. You need to work with someone who will help you do that exactly. Okay, mm-hmm. who will sit down and say, okay, let's let's look at everything and find out where the stones have been left unturned. You know. By the mm-hmm. way, I'm also I'm also a registered nurse. I'm a, I'm a, I was an ER nurse and then a CCU nurse. Um, ah. I spent uh, I have I I actually took the very first certified emergency nurse exam, way back when. You know, and I was really? also, I'm also a CCRN. Yeah. And then I've been a wow. I've been a healthcare provider for 38 years, but I've been a chiropractor for 28. So I spent 10 years as a registered nurse. You know. Wow. So um, it worked out well, you know. It's a it's a yeah. very big, yeah. um, you know, it's a very big uh, where I worked, especially the ER in a inner city hospital. I learned an awful lot. But you know, I oh, will tell I you bet. right now. I, I I can tell you right off the bat that you can be fixed. Work with somebody who you trust, who will look at everything, and always use your mommy intuition. If you're in okay, such a le- that's your final arbiter. One, Go ahead, one real last quick, question. I am, my my yep, cat is waiting for me to come a, home. <laughs> <laughs> I am, I'm working with a naturopath doctor right now. That's why I, I know about the cor, you know, my uh, cortisol mm-hmm. levels and stuff like that. But is it, is it possible that not all naturopath doctors get in that depth? Like, um, I mean, yeah, she, that's, that's she, more, we did do MPHFR, um, but. Yeah, that's, that's more the norm than, um, than the exception. 
because most doctors yeah. don't do don't understand the entirety of the genetics, so they only do okay. what they can learn about. And just the one, like yeah. Other, she only tested me for the one. Yeah, yeah that's and the I'm wrong like, way to go about it. And then okay. to not everybody has the totality of knowledge, and I'm and you know what I do is more my my population of people. Uh, is exactly those who've been to one doctor after another after another and still suffering. Okay, so okay. obviously okay. I treat a microcosm of people, but I have a lot of tools to do that. A lot of naturopaths, just like other physicians, have their particular specialties, things that they're more comfortable with, things that they're good at. Some of the really good naturopaths sit in on these consultations like they're writing notes like, like mad. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'm like, okay, <laughs> you can write notes, but you want me to teach you on your own, I'm going to charge your ass. You know? <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> that's funny. You know? But, uh, no, some, some naturopaths and some physicians, you know, are just saying, hey, look, I don't have this training, and I would, you know, I would welcome the opportunity to learn, and they add it to what it is they're doing, Okay. Oh, okay. um, there's nothing wrong with that. But uh, remember that just like anybody else, you know, your naturopath may not be um, learned in this at all, okay, and okay. is working at the peak of his or her knowledge, you know, and okay. that's usually where I start, okay? I'm not any smarter. Mm-hmm. It's just with the way I've trained, you know, yeah. and who I've taken yeah. care of over the years. I mean, that's led yeah, itself that, to a yeah. certain, you know, a certain mindset, and you have mm-hmm. more you know, tools that you can use. And I really don't yeah. mean to be rude, okay. but i got to get out of here. <laughs> okay, sounds great. <laughs> Take care, Thank you okay? so much. Nice chatting. Bye-bye. Okay, thanks. Bye-bye.